0: For one of the most popular lotteries in the United States, which is Mega Millions, your odds of winning are about 1 in 176 million. <laughs> now if you <laughs> Now if you're playing a single state lottery like the California Super Lotto, your odds increase to something like 1 in 42 million. Now I heard those in my eyes and ears and brain just could not compute like what are the odds and so naturally i asked chat gpt for examples of events or probabilities that have similar odds here we go and here's what it said
1: here we go <laughs> what's chat gpt got to say
0: about so, that one of the similar events would be flipping a coin and getting heads 26 times in a row right like it would take one in 176 million <laughs> that, okay. those are your odds okay being struck by lightning while simultaneously being attacked by a shark. Both of those things, same odds. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten.
1: And I'm Julian. And today we are talking about the lottery yes. and the rise of gambling in the U.S.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've been interested in this topic ever since I learned that Americans were basically gambling their way through the pandemic. Gambling revenue hit a record back in 2021 and then spun the block and topped it last year in 2022. But at its core, I just think that gambling is a fascinating example of group economics. You know, someone might spend a dollar on a ticket and walk away with this fortune that's based on the optimism and effort that caused a million other people to put their dollar towards the the pot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just a really interesting social experiment. And I think it's also just an example of something that people want and actively go for and wish for, despite the research that suggests that it doesn't contribute to happiness and most winners end up broke anyway.
1: You're right. And I I think it it really is a fascinating subject because and, and you can see and we'll try our best not to do that in this podcast, but it very much sort of triggers sort of like the political ideologies in the back of your brain. I was like, wow. So people without question find money for these things. Right. But if you had switched it up and said, all right, or you could do these or you things could pay more taxes. or you could pay more taxes or you could invest. Like yeah. it's like those things no. don't quite compute. But gambling, it just sort of seems like, yeah, well, that's different. That's yeah. fun. That should be acceptable. So it's, it's interesting. But in preparing for this podcast, it naturally made me think. And I was like, wow, like I don't really have a lot of experience gambling. Like I've never really taken on that I've never really thought of it as fun like it's always been kind of scary to me it's like what if I lose all my money Uh, even if it's just a tiny amount I've gone to Vegas I gambled a little bit in Vegas I think as a kid I have very slight memories like I have this very clear visual of my mom playing the lotto and filling in the little bubbles or something like that in that like kind of pink block sheet or something. I don't even know if they still have that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Never did the scratch off thing. Um, Yeah. I just, I don't, I I don't think I've ever bought a lottery ticket. Really? I've never bought a lottery ticket.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And I
1: feel like we've had this conversation before.
0: Maybe. Maybe,
1: but like, it's just never, it just does not enter my mind at all
0: as like a purchase decision.
1: Yeah, like, and and I guess also like I don't really if I can help it go into the gas station, yeah. which is where I think it's Well, now sold. they have
0: the machines everywhere. They okay. have the machines in grocery stores and Total Wines. I walk
1: right path. I, I it does There's not. There's one in Ronde Moon
0: in the Asian uh farmers market that we go to.
1: I could not tell you where it is. It's often <laughs> right as I by go. the door. <laughs> I I could tell you there are gum machines there. <laughs> There's an ice machine. There's
0: it's, right, it's right next to it. it.
1: And when I tell you, my brain it looks I
0: filtered it out past. It. See, this is why I talk to y'all about mindset because oh, okay. people look past. See. You're you
1: see, your blessing. You want to get to this point. I'm gonna flip it and say you want to get to this point where you don't even see the threat. Oh, like, it Lord. doesn't register in my brain.
0: Yeah. Well, today we want to dive into what the lottery funds, like why it even exists, what the odds are of winning and our point of view on gambling, and then just how to help a loved one if they're struggling with it or maybe if you find yourself struggling with it. Yeah. So let's start with the top with why the lottery exists. Well, in one word, it's money, right? Mm-hmm. The lottery is a revenue generator above and beyond your taxes for your state, and it funds several things that differ by state. Here in Georgia is most popular for funding the Hope Scholarship, which is basically an in-state scholarship for Georgia students who maintain a solid GPA, and it covers their full tuition. Yeah. So it's a great benefit to residents.
1: Shout out to everyone in New York that literally moved down to Atlanta <laughs> for free college for that reason. <laughs> yeah, uh, or really not just New York, but I know there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, well, we're gonna go here, then we gotta go down. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, if you look, at it's interesting because if you look at the revenue for the Georgia Lottery, here's how the split went for 2022. The majority went to prizes. So $3.6 billion went to prizes. Next up was education, another $1.47, $1.5 billion on education. And then $500 million went to commissions, to retailers, and just operating expenses of running this lottery. So the majority is still going to prizes. Versus like a social cause or education Mm -hmm. or the state in general. So that's really interesting. But not every state runs itself like Georgia. Some other states focus on local causes. So along with Georgia, Florida, uh, Michigan, New Hampshire, they use the lottery to fund education across all ages. Georgia focuses on collegiate, but some of these other states may focus on K through 12 or earlier education. Minnesota focuses on the environment. Indiana does the teacher's pension and the Build Indiana Fund. Missouri, Arizona, Connecticut, Delaware have a general fund. And then Massachusetts, Louisiana, Nebraska, and North Dakota actually use their lottery funds to support compulsive gambling, which I thought was really interesting. They use gambling to pay for support and resources for gambling addiction, which is kind of like... It's very Black Mirror
1: to me. This is what I'm saying. It's a fascinating (laughs) subject. And like I said, I'm really glad we're talking about it because it's something that we've dabbled in, we've spoken about, but we never really sort of gathered all of those thoughts and did any research. I will also say, just to make sure that we're clear, like every state kind of has their own thing. Some states do all of the above, right? It just kind of depends. But to your point, the lottery is a way for the state to generate money and then they use it for however they want to use it. Some of them do all three, right? They've got a general fund, they've got compulsive gambling all kinds of things right so it's generally like a lot of state funded programs up to the state to decide what they want to do what i really think is interesting about like the states that also use the money from the lottery to like support like people who are really struggling with gambling or gambling addiction it's kind of similar to like um alcohol and tobacco taxes right mm-hmm. like what they call syntax and I always every time i hear syntax i always think like the Technical technology, oh, like, word, like a syntax. syntax error or something. No, this is a it's not tax that. On it's your more sins. like a tax on your sins, right? <laughs> and it's interesting because it's this idea, right? That, like, oh, well, by taxing it, you're going to discourage people. I've never known anyone to be like, oh, man, I would go yeah. get this bottle of liquor. Or... Well, it's
0: never significant enough. It's no. like the difference between $8 for a pack of cigarettes and $8.38. Right. Like, it's <laughs> meaningful at scale, but to an individual, it's never enough to make you.
1: It's not this nuisance tax that they think it is, right? No. It's not you're not taxing it to the point where people are actually discouraged. Like, and, and it's I would
0: advice. It's like the logic correct. for people buying bottles at the club. They don't care about a three hundred percent markup. They darn sure ain't gonna care about a one percent syntax correct on alcohol or cigarette
1: correct and so yeah all that to say like it's an interesting sort of game that i think the states play in this relationship that they have with something that they're encouraging but also kind of discouraging at the same time like mm-hmm. this is really interesting uh balance between the like two that
0: toxic eggs <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love it okay so what do we know about people who actually play the lottery well the good news and the bad news well i guess it's all kind of weird news or in between news but the data is like all over the place. Like it was actually really hard to sort of try to paint a picture I was kind of stitching together like disparate pieces of data to try to build a profile or a set of profiles to better understand like who actually plays a lottery. And I think there are a number of reasons why the data is all over the place. Part of the reason is, as you alluded to, the rise of gambling like, really paints a very different picture, right? So two years ago, if we were talking about one other study, that might actually have been relevant data, like an accurate picture of what's happening in the United States. But because it's growing so quickly, especially through the pandemic year over year, and there are a number of other reasons that we'll get into about that, it's kind of difficult to say, well, who's actually doing it? Because now it kind of seems like just a lot more people. And maybe it's some of the old people, but they're doing it more. Like, it's really difficult to sort of see what's happening. Yeah,
0: it's a new vertical. Correct with smartphone
1: gambling. With smartphone gambling, with the rise of sports and gambling, and the legalization of that, like it's on the rise, which is what we know, right? And so maybe a couple years from now, when things settle, we can actually get a little bit more of an accurate picture. But long story short, it's on the rise. The other thing is that there's no real incentive, I think, for people to report. The truth on it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, gambler's not gonna say, well, yeah, I carve out 10%. Like, there's no set number. Like, it's more like, "Eh, you know, it's a couple hundred dollars here. My guess would be that most people would understate what they do. And so, even some of the numbers that we're gonna talk about. Who knows what they actually really are? So all of that to say, we're going to share some numbers, but they're either, they're probably wrong <laughs> they're pro- for no fault of ours, right? <laughs> but this is what we were able to find. So in terms of geographically, this is what I thought was interesting. So the top 10 states that we know where people are, and they're sort of looking at gambling per capita. So the top 10 states are Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, sensing a theme here, Georgia. Then there's Michigan, South Carolina, Connecticut, New Jersey, Maryland, Florida. So basically the entire like Northeast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a couple of dots in the South a little bit, uh, but one spot like in the Midwest, which is basically Michigan and like practically nothing out West, which I think is interesting. So if there's anyone out there that's listening out West and they have a point of view as to why that is the case, I would love to hear that. I also would have like felt like. Florida, Florida was in the top 10, but I don't know why it just sort of felt like Florida would have been higher, but it's not right. But I'm not surprised as someone that's in New York uh, or from New York, I should say that it was listed as number two. But uh, secondly, Massachusetts, while it was number one, was the average number I think spent gambling per capita for Massachusetts was almost twice as high. As number two, which is New York. So Massachusetts, that number was $805. New York, that number is around $455. And then everything else is in the 400s and the 300s below that. So that's basically where all the gamblers live. Then there's demographics. So it's like, well, who's doing this? Is it younger people? Is it older people? The answer is it's everyone. But there are some groups who are doing it a little more than others. So the highest age group, if we're looking at it in like 10-year increments are basically people between the ages of 65 and 74. And then the second highest, if you're sort of waiting, I'm going to add like a little drum roll here. You might think it's like lower or younger. It's not. The second highest is actually people 74 to 85, whatever, right? That second oldest, like older people. And then third is when things sort of get down to middle age, 45 to 54. So all that to say, like it's everyone, these are but grown-ups. these are, these are grown folks. These are adults. These are now
0: to your point, it is trending lower because there was a study that said, I think it's something like 30 to 40% of high schoolers have now bet on something. So yeah. because of it, because of it infiltrating smartphones and sports betting being a thing now, people younger are experimenting with gambling in small ways. But based on this data, the historical gambler has been an adult, like a fully grown, middle aged or older person.
1: Yeah, man, listen, I'm not judging. I I just want to know more. I'm I'm really curious about this. Okay, so next is I wanted to take a look at like household income. That data was kind of all over the place. But what we were able to validate uh, in a couple of number of places was that the lower income households spent on average around four hundred and twelve dollars per year On lottery tickets. And that was more than four times what the highest income household spend, right? So people who have less income are big fans of the lottery versus people who have more income, who have more wealth. I don't think that's that big of a surprise, but I also want to be clear the lottery is just one sort of part of gambling, right? I would imagine if we looked at a broader set of gambling activities that number might look a little different, uh, but it's almost like, uh, dare I say, a drug of choice, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there are certain things that at income levels there are certain things that you may prefer. Uh, so there's that. And then in terms of gender, there was actually a pretty like even split there, right? So men and women are just as likely to gamble or to enjoy gambling. But what was interesting is that when we start looking at gambling addiction, we start to see a really sharp contrast there. So while both men and women may dabble in gambling, men were significantly more likely to be considered or labeled or I can almost say diagnosed gambling addicts, like almost like five to one men versus women. So that I thought was really, really interesting. So I don't know, maybe that paints a picture in your head and hopefully you're not thinking about someone that you know. And who's like, oh, that sounds like my uncle Joe who lives in Massachusetts and he's knocking on 70 or something like that. But you know, That's basically the best picture that we could paint looking at the data that we were able to find around what gambling or gamblers look like in the United States.
0: Shout out to Uncle Joe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now that we know who gamblers are demographically, I hate to call them gamblers, but who people who purchase lottery tickets or have engaged in gambling in the past what they look like demographically. Let's talk about what they're drawn to. I mean, I think obviously the answer is winning the jackpot, which naturally leads us to explore the odds. And I thought this was a really fun part of the research because here's what we found. According to GoBankingRates, for one of the most popular lotteries in the United States, which is mega millions, your odds of winning are about one in 176 million. Now, if you're <laughs> now if you're playing a single state lottery like the California Super Lotto, your odds increase to something like one in forty two million. Now, I heard those, and my eyes and ears and brain just could not compute like what are the odds. And so naturally, I asked Chat GPT for examples of events or probabilities that have similar odds. Here we go. And here's what it said. Here we
1: go. <laughs> What's ChatGPT got to say about
0: so, that? One of the similar events would be flipping a coin and getting heads twenty-six times in a row. Right, like it would take one hundred and seventy-six million. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> those are your odds. Okay. Being struck by lightning while simultaneously being attacked by a shark. Both of those things, same odds. At the
1: same. <laughs>
0: same same time. odds. Okay. Getting struck by a meteorite from space. Mm. And winning an Olympic gold medal, not any Olympic medal, just the gold. So being like the best in the world. Being an Olympian. No, not just an Olympian, Uh, uh, winning uh, a gold gold medal. medal. (laughs) And then last but not least, if you know that phrase, uh, needle in a haystack, then the probabilities are similar to finding a needle in a haystack that was the size of a large city. So <laughs> you can imagine a haystack the size of Los Angeles. Mm. Finding a needle in that is about the same odds as you have for winning the Mega Millions.
1: I'm not discouraged. <laughs> I'm, now, not, I'm not. Bothered I don't want one you to
0: bit. be. I don't want you to be discouraged because scratch offs are different. They typically tell you the odds right on the ticket, which is why scratch offs are my preferred gift of choice for the people who have everything in my life. <laughs> like my dad, <laughs> I give him scratch offs
1: just gift about
0: every world. Christmas <laughs> when we do raffle tickets for Little League. Typically, the gift for our team is like a bunch of scratch offs in a basket and it always goes really high at solid silent auctions. So if you're one of the fundraisers, you know, you might want to try a basket of lottery tickets but it's interesting because according to wikihow.com, when you read the odds on a scratch off, if you're reading one in five on one card and one in 20 on another card, you want to go for the first game, which means one out of every five tickets will be a winner instead of one out of every 20 tickets. Now, just remember just because a card says that it has one in five odds, it doesn't mean that every fifth ticket in a row wins. It just means that 20 percent of the tickets dispersed in all participating stores are winners. Right. <laughs> so it's not this is genius <laughs>
1: yeah. because it, it, it I, I what I like about this from a marketing perspective is, is I think that that's what encourages people to buy at least five
0: yes exactly exactly and that's exactly where i was going so this is typically where people try to apply their level of expertise and talk Um, about what they do to increase the odds yeah so if you want to calculate your overall odds of all of the tickets that you have combined you want to divide the total number of tickets that you bought by the total number of tickets in the scratch-off game that you're playing Mm. so if there are one million scratch-offs and you buy 10 tickets then your odds of winning are like one in 100,000, which is not so bad. And that puts you above anyone who's just buying one ticket. And it puts you more in line with the odds of winning any Olympic medal and not just gold. Right. So you (laughs) you have more of a chance of like being an Olympian like buy a scratch offs. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Sure. And I think it's important to admit with scratch offs, like the winnings aren't just jackpot. Like a lot of times it's $1, another free ticket, $5, $10. I once won a hundred dollars on scratch off. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, put me in the hall of fame.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you've probably heard stories about people who have played the lottery and how they typically end up Bankrupt, And we wanted to see like, all right, is that true? Because I've heard that story. I want to say that I also watched a documentary about it, but I couldn't seem to find it. Either way, we were able to validate that that is true. And in terms of numbers, according to Next Gen Personal Finance, around 30% of lottery winners end up bankrupt and most of them end up bankrupt within three to five years of actually winning, which sounds crazy.
0: I bet it's the best three to five years of their life. It's probably like... Maybe. Like, you know, how some people peak in high school. Like, that would be like my high school moment where it's like, man, remember that year? Yeah, but nobody I wants to be
1: the person that is known for having blown the mega <laughs> millions. Like, that is actually scary. But you know what? I'm trying to find a positive here. That person will likely single-handedly help to stimulate their local economy. Oh, yeah. I, I guess somebody that is somebody, neighbors in the... Car, car dealerships and restaurants. Real estate. I'm agents. sure they had a good three to five years. So that's my shout single, out to single all the lining. EXP
0: listeners who have helped somebody who won the lottery buy their next house.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Way to offload the mansion you couldn't <laughs> sell. All right. So why does this happen? And I think there are a lot of reasons why this would happen, right? So I mean let's just start with the obvious one. I think there's just a lack of understanding and familiarity of how to manage large amounts of money, especially like a sudden influx of a large amount of money and a general belief that they can buy whatever they want, right? Like you just won the lottery. You can, oh, I mean, yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stop what you're doing. If your mom is still alive, well, mom, you make that phone call and you say, mama, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Dad, go tell your boss and then fight with your dad because he's going to tell you so he wants to love his job and. Blah, blah, blah. But you fulfill that scene that you had in your mind Absolutely. your entire life. But that's why I think that that plays a role. The problem is it doesn't really stop a mom and dad, mom, cousins, long lost cousins, et cetera, supporting multiple households. Because, again, there's doing that as a gift and as active appreciation. And then there's like, hey, man, that's really nice. But like, you know, I'm not even asking for a lot, man. I just got a problem that I need to solve, like, you know. And then there's a feel good story like, you know, what you're going to do for your nieces and your nephew? They want to go to college and, you know, I want to earn it on my own. Uncle, Uncle Julian, I want to earn it on my own. Right. So there's that. I think there's also just, you know, for being honest, there is likely going to be a set of predators who are involved and sort of smell blood and they sort of swim in and they're like, hey, man, I want to help you make sure you don't become one of these people who lose their money for a small fee. And you basically Give somebody more control and more power or authority over how to make those decisions. And unfortunately, that erodes that sort of pool of money that you have. And so this could be like straight up predators from people who are calling themselves wealth managers or financial advisors. Again, not knocking those peoples or those professions, but we know these things happen. It could also be well beaning or predatory business partners, right? Like someone that says, hey, man. I've got this great opportunity, you know, and we're going to work for it. But it's a great idea. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to invest as much money as you want to do into it. And then I would say like, you know, no different than athletes, right? Whether it's we're talking about people who won a lottery or people who suddenly come into large amounts of money some other way. A lot of them get caught up in just making bad investments, you know, like they get caught up in real estate at the bad time or in the stock market at the bad time or whatever it is, and things don't quite work out. There is one movie that I do remember, though, um, and it kind of I think is a really good example of, I guess, how I would like to think I would treat myself or treat my community if I won the lottery. And there's a movie with Brian Cranston, who's in Breaking Bad and great, great movie. Uh, it's basically a based on true story. And it's about a math teacher who a uh, long time ago found a loophole in a lottery system where he felt like he could beat the odds. And of course, why wouldn't he? Because he's a math teacher. And he basically like created this system where he knew that if he could buy enough tickets that to your point, he could actually beat the odds. And if he wanted enough times that it would wipe away the cost. And he decided to do that as a little bit of a side hustle, if you will. Long story short, he starts to do all the right things, invest that money. He like fixed up his house at the most, like bought a new truck, like little stuff like that. But it's like a really good feel good movie versus what a lot of people do, which is, you know, ball out, spend all the money and sort of waste it. So it's, you know, I guess not really a great way of telling a story. The story was a little bit more eventful than that. The
0: point is, he kept it simple. He,
1: he kept it simple, right? Like He's like, you know what? I got a lot of money, but I'm still going to keep it simple. I'm going to spoil myself a little bit, but I'm not going to lose all the money that I worked really, really hard to actually get.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason why it's hard to make it sound good is because this is gambling. And I don't want to get into a religious or a moral soapbox, but we have to say that because I think there's a disconnect here, right? Yeah. The word gambling has a negative connotation to it. And I don't think that lottery players think of themselves as regular gamblers.
1: No, no, they don't.
0: The image they have of a gambler and even the image that I have of a gambler is a person in a casino, a casino playing the slot machines. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, that's really just a different game. The use of the word gaming is because it includes lotteries, casinos and sports betting, which we know is growing every day. The data is all over the place, but here's what we've been able to put together. 2022 was a record year in gambling across the country, about a 14% increase over 2021, which was also a record year for the country. And around $60 billion a year are spent on gambling and sports betting in the U.S. alone. The lottery adds an estimated $100 billion spent on gambling. So we're really approaching a $200 billion mark if we keep up the pace. Yeah. So to put it in perspective, thanks to Statista and Jet, Chat GPT, or I call them Chat Daddy, according to Statista and Chat Daddy, about $187 billion was spent on fast food in 2020.
1: That's the size of, size of the fast food
0: market. Yes, that's the size of the fast food market. So we're at $200 billion in gambling. We so spent gambling is about and-
1: as big. Yes, if you think about this, how pervasive yeah. And how large of a business that is. Like That's that's pretty much what we're talking
0: about. Yeah. And if you think about something that's wow. larger than gambling, we have to go to the U.S. pharmaceutical market, which yeah. is about $500 billion in 2020. So both of these markets are growing. Gambling is obviously growing at a much higher rate. But there's a world where you could see gambling and pharmaceuticals being the same size, yeah. right? And I think the other thing about gambling is that it goes hand in hand with other vices like alcohol and tobacco, It's not like people who gamble are at home by themselves, drinking tea, exercising, eating fruits and vegetables. You know, one addictive substance kind of goes hand in hand with another addictive activity and the brain becomes hooked on this dopamine rush. So if you close your eyes and think about a casino, you kind of see those three main characters, right. booze, smoking and gambling. You know, the first time you walk into a casino, it's kind of like, That's Ooh, shoot, am I in an ashtray? But of course, there are other vices. And of course, there are the exceptions of people who do drink water and tea while they gamble. <laughs> Again, not judging, just helping to put it all in perspective because it's important to know the size of this pie to know that even if you're listening to this and being like, I don't know nobody who gambles. It's like when it's this big, you absolutely you do. do. Yeah, Which is kind of the segue you know, into the, the last segment, which is how to recognize someone you know is struggling.
1: Yeah, a couple of other things that I will add about gambling is that you know, there's likely a tendency for a lot of people who's like, yeah, but I mean, you have your thing. I have my thing. And, you know, and, and I know for a fact there's someone who's listening and they are either defending that point of view, like, all right, you know, don't want to judge what I do. Like, it's fun. I've got it under control. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the reality is, like, when people say that they do it for fun, like you're likely losing a lot. Right. Like yeah. you're losing a lot. Losing is not fun. Like. For, for no one, like not my son, like no one likes losing. So I think we kind of have to be honest about that a little bit, right? The reality is a lot of people aren't just gambling because it's fun. They're gambling because they are likely addicted. And again, like who's to say when sort of addiction begins and ends? I'm not a therapist or an addiction specialist by any means, but I mean, there's just something to that. No one really enjoys losing and you're likely doing a lot of losing, but there is research to show that a lot of people are gambling because they're trying to class Out of poverty, like this is what they do. Like, I don't know about investing, I don't know about starting a business or any of those other things, but I do know that there are people, and I may have heard or seen someone who made a lot of money that solved a lot of problems or were able to improve their quality of life this way. And so I feel good about it. To your point, I feel like I can understand this game more so that I can understand the stock market game. And I think a lot of people even also see the stock market as some form of gambling, right? Mm-hmm. So the reality is they're not, right? This, this, There's two very different ways of of sort of dealing in, in with your money. So I don't want people to sort of conflate those things. I think we kind of have to be honest about that. And the other thing that I know for sure people don't talk enough about is that that is taxable income, yes. right? So if you are gambling, and even if you are winning or when you do win, that is taxable income. And so if you are doing that habitually, and we're talking about large sums of money, And you see all these movies. I think people sort of have visions in their minds about, oh, the mob coming knocking on your door and saying that you need their money. Well, in most cases, it's not the mob. It's the IRS saying, hey, man, like what's going on? Help me understand how you're able to buy these things. Yet this is what your tax filings say, right? Where's the money coming from? And here's what I think you owe us. And now you've put yourself in a little bit of a situation. So I think that's something that we really have to keep uh, in mind that, listen, like, Addiction is a very slippery slope. It's a very insidious thing. So we got to be mindful of that. And also make sure that as you're calculating all your winnings and you're patting yourself on the back around your strategy, that no different than any other business activity or income generating activity, that you're factoring in how much you actually would owe the IRS based on your actual winning.
0: All right, so if you think you or someone you love is struggling with gambling, the first thing you want to do is pay attention to the common signs of gambling addiction. And there are financial signs, there are mood and behavioral signs, and then there are time related signs. On the financial side, one of the biggest signs is that something is missing, whether it's money from bank accounts or a wallet or purse, or even household items or valuables that are missing, that's typically a sign. Another sign is that they're frequently short on money, even though they have a job or they're borrowing money on a regular basis. More signs having a lot of different loans at one time, being secretive about financial records or pay stubs. There are unpaid bills or disconnection notices in the house. And then there's just like a lack of food in the house. Yeah. Right. In terms of mood and behavioral signs, uh, some of the signs are becoming withdrawn from others and family events, performance at work being affected, seeming worried, agitated, or upset for no apparent reason feeling hopeless or depressed, changes in their personality or sleeping, controlling or manipulative behavior, and then using threats or lies or charm to manipulate others. So basically gaslighting, which happens a lot. And then the time-related signs uh, that could indicate that someone has a problem with gambling include spending more and more time just doing it. So you might notice that they're at the casino more frequently or on their phones more frequently, being secretive about their unexplained absences, Often being late for their commitments, taking off a lot of days from work, taking an unusual amount of time for simple tasks. So if you say you're going to get uh, gas, but it takes you two hours, that might be a sign that you've made a couple of stops along the way or you're collecting all your tickets from your favorite shops, whatever it is. But I think it's important that if you're noticing these things, as much as you want to jump right in, you also want to make sure that you're prepared for what comes next. This is a big topic There are boundaries and freedoms that adults have with the agency that they have in their life. And so you want to approach the topic with empathy, with understanding. You want to have a good grasp on what resources and support are available, assuming the person does and is open to admitting that they have a problem. And then you just want to, again, make sure that you are respecting the boundaries. If they say it's not your business and you're not in a position to help them or be accountable to them, then- it's just one of those things that you can say and and move on.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because as you were talking, I was like, wow, this, I mean, this just sounds like, like addiction, right? Like these are sort of the habits, whether we we're talking about alcohol or drug addiction or any type of addiction, these are the types of behaviors and things I think that people should really look out for. And I, I just say this, man, I, I hate it for anyone that is seeing someone or sees any of those signs in themselves. And so I really hope that you can help that person or that you can help yourself. Uh, so- couple of things. Um, Seeking help. As we said, there are lots of states that offer programs. There are centers. Again, they are actually many funded by the actual lottery themselves. And so even if you can't find, let's say like a counselor or a facility or a group nearby, there might be something or someone that can help you just a little bit further away. But there are organizations out there very similar to Alcohol Anonymous. There is a Gamblers Anonymous. Um, There are also organizations out there for people who've been affected by the gambling of others, right? So like it's a very, very big issue and I imagine it's going to get larger just based on a lot of the uh, data that we've seen in terms of the growth of this particular industry for lack of a better word. Also, I would say there are tons of tools out there that can kind of help you. Again, this is around uh, not just yourself, but other people, but there are things that you can do to help monitor your spending. And so if you want to create some type of alert that says, hey man, I want to receive a ping or an email or a notification or something that basically says, hey, man, Like, I'm not going to allow you to spend more than this amount of money. You can actually do that. You can also do that for other people. You can, you know, it might be a little tricky, but seeing if you can get yourself added as an authorized user, obviously there are ways around that for that other person. But there are ways that you can try to create notifications so that you are alerted, whether it's for you or someone else, whenever charges are being made that are, let's just say, too expensive or unclear or unidentified. There's also an app, and we've mentioned it before in several other contexts, uh, called the CAREFUL app, and that's C-A-R-E-F-U-L-L, 2L. So the app is called CAREFUL, and it is more so designed for people who are financially supporting a parent. Uh, but in this case, you could be financially supporting a parent who is also a compulsive gambler, right? Right either way the tool is basically designed to allow you and other people who want to have or need to have visibility around those spending habits of that elder or that other family member and it basically gives you that sort of dashboard perspective so that you have that sort of visibility and you can help that person not just around curbing sort of I any mean, any habits but sometimes it's also around helping that person uh, not sort of fall into some type of fraudulent behavior or something like that. Uh, and also, there are tons of books out there, tons of books. We flipped through a couple. I think one that was really, really interesting and looked to be uh, a pretty good one or a popular one was entitled Gambling Addiction. And the author was Kurt Dahl, D A H L, first name Kurt, K U R T. So, Gambling Addiction seems like a pretty good book. And, um, Hopefully you don't need that, but if you're interested and curious about gambling, how it affects the brain, how it affects your life, that might be a good place to start. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, Final thoughts.
0: Final thought. So my final thought is that it doesn't have to be this way. There are several arguments against using lotteries to generate government revenue. One, it exploits a vulnerable population. It preys on financial desperation, which normalizes addiction addiction behaviors. And because it's an an inconsistent revenue stream, it ultimately can lead to budget shortfalls anyway. And it hinders your local leaders the ability to create long-term tax policies because they're using this lottery revenue as a Band-Aid. So you're not moving the ball forward in terms of real progression because you're using this inconsistent revenue stream that preys on vulnerable populations. You know, even if we didn't get rid of the lottery altogether, we could learn from other wealthy nations and add significant restrictions or reforms to address the issues that it causes, or even channel the profits into public welfare programs and social initiatives. But we don't. We don't do that. Our government could explore different options for revenue sources, but the fact that we don't speaks to why America is often considered a social experiment because of the principles of free market capitalism. You have a choice every day as to whether you participate in these things, and it's totally up to you. So I guess my final thought is just a reminder that in an environment like this, it's super important to recognize when you're standing on the edge of a slippery slope. And gambling in any forms is one of those edges.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. And my final thought is really that as much as we're talking about gambling and we kind of centered a lot of this conversation around the lottery, when things get bad, we're actually not talking about gambling anymore. We're talking about addiction. And I think that is something that I'm really sensitive to. I know people who struggle with addiction. I know how damaging it can be to that person's life, but also to the lives of the people who love and support that person. And so uh, I just want to really kind of empathize with the people because my guess would be that a lot of the listeners here, I'm sure there are some people who are struggling with this, but I think there are a few other folks I'm willing to bet who have someone in their life. And my hope is that this makes them say, oh man, I never thought about the fact that this hobby or this habit could actually spill into some type of addiction and that there are very real consequences for that, right? Like addiction starts with regular casual social activity, right? It's not like a lot of people just sort of get one taste and all of a sudden they are playing this extreme character. You oftentimes don't recognize it for a really, really long time. You just allow it. And it just becomes baked into the everyday list of normal things that people do. And I think the other thing that, uh, a lot of people likely are overlooking is that they're just looking at the amount of money as if it's a no brainer, right? Like if, if I'm just gambling $20 a day perpetually or habitually, it's not a big deal if I know someone who's also gambling a hundred dollars because you can always say like, well, that person's doing five times as much. It doesn't really matter. And that's not really how addiction works. And so my hope is that a lot of us, uh, can see, some of these habits in themselves if that is the case or see some of these things in other people and they can help them to the best of their abilities and if you can't it's okay to sort of know your depth and I never thought I would ever have to sort of offer a 1-800 number but there are websites out there and there's literally a number that you can call if you don't know where to start Mm 1-800-GAMBLER and those people can help you they are there for a reason and um, you know hopefully. We can nip this in the bud before it becomes a larger issue. Public safety. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the rich and regular podcast presented by success. If you feel like we hit the jackpot with this episode, head on over to our favorite podcast platforms review page and leave us a five star rating and review.
1: I see what you did there.
0: Hit the jackpot.
1: Well played. I I didn't see that one coming.
0: (laughs) I was going to do a lucky day thing. I was going back and forth. You know, I just, I never, I never quite know. Anyway, we will see y'all next week. Thank you for listening.